0: Thank you for listening to this podcast from Living Hope Church in Skokie, Illinois, featuring the preaching of Pastor Daniel Mann. For more information about our church, please visit us online at livinghopechicago.com. We hope that today's message will encourage you in your relationship with God. What do you get when you combine New York, Los Angeles, and Las Vegas? Well, according to a uh, noted Bible scholar, uh, when you combine those three cities, you would get uh, the ancient city of Corinth. Uh, Corinth was a prosperous commercial city um, that's located um, on, in the southern portion of what's known now as Greece. It was uh, during the time uh, when uh, uh, the New Testament was being formed and, and written. Uh, it was an ethnically uh, diverse city uh, with Romans and Greeks, Orientals and Jews. Uh, there was a, a population of about half a million people, so 500,000 people in this city. It was known for the Isthmian Games, uh, which uh, were second only in popularity to the Olympic Games and, and held there uh, frequently, um, And which makes it really interesting when you think of those games being held in the city of Corinth. Uh, if you know anything about the book of, 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 of the first of, Letter to the Corinthian church in the New Testament in uh, chapter 1, excuse me, chapter 9, verse 24 through 27, Paul told them and used this analogy of running in a race, and he compared that in the Christian life as as we who are passionately running so as to, to win a prize. And the idea is that we want to be faithful, we want to be passionate, so as when we stand before our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, and he reviews our lives as his children um, that we will have been found uh, faithful and be rewarded uh, for that obedience. So in addition to being known for its population size, its, its diversity, its, its love for athletics, uh, Corinth was also known for its wickedness. You know, they had a word that, you know, if someone started to adapt the values of of the city of Corinth that they, they would say this person's been Corinthianized. And that simply meant that this person had now become um, basically um, sexually immoral. It, it, was, a, it was basically a, a synonym for fornication, that to be Corinthianized meant that, that, that now you, you would, you'd, you'd followed a, a lifestyle of sexual immorality. It was a city known for prostitution city known for all types of, of sexual sin. And Dr. Gordon Fee, uh, who's a, um, a Bible scholar, wrote that um, Paul was writing a letter to the church, the people in the city of Corinth who were followers of Christ, the church in Corinth. Paul was writing to the church in Corinth, but he said, unfortunately, a lot of, of Corinth was actually in Corinth the church. So he's writing to the church in Corinth, but unfortunately, he had to write to them because a lot of Corinth, the city, the values, the culture was actually in the church. And then he went on to describe the book of 1 Corinthians uh, like this. He says it's like a patient who is going to the hospital desperately in need of surgery. And so in that case that would refer to the the Corinthian church. They were the patient that was in a desperate situation, desperately needing surgery, and a surgeon, which is the Holy Spirit, through uh, the Apostle Paul, uh, trying to perform the surgery without, uh, without killing the patient. You know, for the majority of 2018, what I would like us to do as a church when we gather on Sunday mornings is to be digging into this book of the Bible and this from time to time that we'll break. Pretty soon we'll have Palm Sunday, Good Friday, Easter, and we'll, we'll take a break from 1 Corinthians for a few services, and we'll, we'll look at other passages. There'll be things like Mother's Day and, and other special events throughout the year, but for the majority of the time that we get together on Sunday mornings, we're going to go verse by verse through the, first, through the book of 1 Corinthians. There are 437 verses in the book of 1 Corinthians, and every single verse Uh, is given to us by God and preserved for us by Him. Uh, The church in Corinth was established, it was started by Paul, and the record of that is in Acts chapter 18. I wouldn't have you turn there now, but later in the sermon uh, we'll we'll look at that. But Paul, many um, Bible teachers and and scholars um, have looked at the, the, the life of the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts, and they've divided up his his traveling and his preaching into what they call three missionary journeys. And this church in Corinth was established during the second missionary journey, probably around A.D. 51. Uh, A.D. 51, so only a couple decades after Jesus rose again from the dead. So this is very, very soon Uh, After the the resurrection of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus, just very soon after the church um, had really launched uh, in the book of Acts uh, that the church in Corinth was established. Uh, We we learn in in Acts 18 that Paul spent a year and a half ministering uh, in in Corinth. And then after his ministry there, he, he moved on. And he went to other places preaching the gospel. And most believe that it was about four years Uh, later in A.D. 55 uh, that Paul wrote this letter back to the Corinthians. You know, it's really when you, anytime you study through one particular book of the Bible and if you have a preaching series like this through a book of the Bible, I find it really hard to give a title, a series title uh, when you're going through a book of the Bible because, and, and 1 Corinthians especially fits that because there's so many different topics and and, and things addressed in the book of 1 Corinthians. How do you narrow that down to one title? Uh, but, but I have chosen a title that I think fits the best that, that we can come up with. And I've chosen the word together. So the series through 1 Corinthians, I'm calling it together. And the reason is, is because I, fit that, I think that word fits so much of what 1 Corinthians is about. In fact, look with me, if you will, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We have this on the screen Chapter one, verse 10 says, now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined. Here's our word together in the same mind and in the same judgment. It seems like so much of what Paul writes to this church is that they are not to be divided, but they're to be together, perfectly joined together. And then there's also, as we read through the book of 1 Corinthians, we learn not only this theme that Paul shares with them, that they are not to be divided, but they're to be together with one another. Well, there's oftentimes an even greater truth he reminds them of, that through faith in Jesus, that we have been united to Christ, that we are together in Christ, that Christ has brought us into union with Him, that we're together not only with one another, we're together with Christ. I believe it's 1 Corinthians chapter 6 talks about us being joined to the Lord. We're together with the Lord. So this church, the church in Corinth, they were deeply flawed and they have deep failures. There was tremendous division in the church. There was incredible pride. There was sexual sin. There was... Doctrinal misunderstandings and doctrinal teachings and errors. Yeah, but all the flaws, all the failures, this book is filled with hope. It's filled with gospel hope. And you know, I love the way that Paul begins this letter. He doesn't begin the letter focusing on their guilt because of their flaws and failures and sins. Uh, He he could have started there because there was much to point out. But he focuses on gratitude to God. And so if you're able to stand, look with me. Let's stand together and look with me at at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 1. We stand when we read the Bible because we believe that the Bible is the Word of God. And that when we read the Bible, we're reading the very words of God. When we hear the Bible, we're hearing the voice of God. So look with me. Verse 1, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes. That was an associate of Paul's, a, a fellow laborer in the gospel. Sosthenes, our brother, unto the church of God which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything ye are enriched by him, in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that ye come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called unto the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. See, in spite of their deep flaws and failures, the Apostle Paul found grounds for gratitude to God because of what God had done for the church in Corinth. So what I want to preach you about today, here's our, our sermon in a nutshell, is that in spite of our deep flaws and failures, we have grounds, we have basis for gratitude to God because of what He's done for us. And I want to look at three reasons that form the grounds for gratitude that we have to God. So what are those three reasons that that form the basis or the grounds by which me, we may give gratitude to God for what he's done for us. Pray with me and I want to share with you those three things. Father, thank you for gathering your people to hear your word. Thank you that you're starting us on this journey through the book of 1 Corinthians. And Lord, we want to learn from you. We pray the Holy Spirit would open the eyes of our understanding. He would teach us what the Word of God means and how it applies to us. And Lord, as we look at these first nine verses, and as we see why the Apostle Paul gave thanks to you for this church in spite of their flaws, may you help us to see why we, in spite of our flaws, can be grateful to you can be thankful because of what you've done for us. We prayed in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So what are the grounds for our gratitude to God? Well, number one, we have grounds for gratitude because of the grace that has been given to us. Paul says that in verse 4. He, he said, uh, uh, look what it says in verse 4. I, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. So Paul gave thanks for the Corinthians because of the grace that God had given them. Now what is grace? Grace, of course, is unmerited, undeserved favor of God. You know, in fact, in verse 3, he greeted them. Verse 3 is a a kind of a formal greeting, and it's a, a common greeting with Paul. He said, grace be unto you and peace from God our father and from our lord jesus christ you know to quote dr gordon fee again he he talked about how that that grace is is god's activity and peace is the benefit of that is experienced by undeserving sinners through the grace of god and you know what's fascinating when you read the epistles and the letters that Paul wrote in the New Testament, like Ephesians and Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, Titus. Paul so often begins his letters with this greeting of grace and peace, but it's always in that order. It's never peace and grace. It's always grace and peace. And and the reason is, is because God's activity of grace always comes first so before we can experience peace we must have the grace of God and the reason that so many people in the world do not have peace in their soul is because they have not experienced the grace of God but Paul says you've experienced grace and now from God flows to you peace grace how can we understand this grace better well uh we can understand it by looking at a few words that Paul used. In verse 2, he talked about how they are sanctified. Sanctified. Now, if you're familiar at all with the, 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 the word sanctified or sanctification, uh, then you may know that it means to make holy, to make one holy. And so often when we talk about sanctification, we talk about what we call progressive sanctification. Now progressive sanctification is the idea that when a person comes to Christ, believes on him, God begins them on a journey where they grow in the likeness of, of Jesus, where their life begins to look more and more and more like Jesus, and where we grow in maturity, and we grow in holiness, where He's conforming us to the image of His Son, and so we're growing more and more like Jesus. That's called progressive sanctification, where God is at work removing the sin from our lives and making us more like Christ. But there's another kind of sanctification referred to in the Bible, and it's what we refer to as positional sanctification. Whereas progressive sanctification is we're growing and progressing more to be like Jesus. Positional sanctification is the idea that at the very moment when a sinner comes to know Jesus Christ through faith in Him, when they turn from their sin and they believe on Christ, at that moment They are made holy. That's what the word sanctify means. They are made holy. That God has made them holy. And that is what Paul is referring to here. He's not talking about progressive sanctification here. He's talking about their position. He says, because of Jesus, you are holy in God's sight. That is your position. When God looks at you, He sees you as holy through His Son. And we also understand this word grace better by, by looking at the word called. He says that they have been called to be saints. It says in verse 9 that they've been called into or unto the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ. That God, in His grace, not by their works, but in His grace, God had called them into relationship with Himself. That God had called them to salvation. He had called them to be His saints. That means His holy ones, His holy people. And God had called them into the fellowship of his son. Now, the word fellowship is the idea of union, of participation, of sharing. And it's the idea that, that you and I, who are Christians, we share in the relationship that Jesus has with the Father. Jesus is the eternal, perfect Son of God. But when you and I believe on Him and are saved by Him, the Scripture says we become sons and daughters of God. That's why Jesus taught His disciples in the model prayer that they were to say, Our Father which is in heaven, because we share in the fellowship of His Son. All of this, was because of God's grace, this undeserved, unmerited favor through Jesus. And you know, it's interesting. uh, We're helped to understand this grace even more when you notice that that Jesus is referred to in all nine of the verses that we read. I mean, look what it says. His name is listed. He is is directly referred to in every one of these verses. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 2. It talks about them who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. And verse 2 also talks about those who call upon the name of the Lord. So he's mentioned in verse 1. He's mentioned in verse 2. What about verse 3? Well, yeah, he says he talks about a grace and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. He's mentioned in verse 3. Verse 4 he's mentioned. He talks about the grace of God which is given you by Christ Jesus. What about verse 5? He's mentioned in verse 5. It says that in everything you are enriched by Him. That's a personal pronoun, but it's referring to Jesus. Verse 6, the testimony of Christ. He's mentioned in verse 6. Verse 7 talks about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's mentioned there. Verse 8, it talks about uh, that we'll be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 9, unto the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ. What what is the emphasis? You see it, you can't miss it. Over and over again, all the good All the blessings, all the favor that we have, it comes to us through Jesus Christ. So his gratitude was grounded in the grace that God had given to them through Jesus. Now, if a jury sentenced a serial murderer to death, but the judge commuted the sentence to life in prison, the murderer would have received mercy. You know, that's a reduction in the sentence because he was sentenced to death, but they reduced it, the judge did, to life in prison. But suppose the judge took the murderer's place in prison, gave him a million dollars as a gift, and and sent him on an all-expenses-paid vacation to Hawaii, even all the while knowing he was guilty. You see, that would be grace. And see, Paul opens this letter. He's saying, look, we who were guilty and deserving, we've not received that. We have been given grace. And so he gives gratitude to God. He's grateful to God. You know, Paul begins this letter, grace and peace to you. But notice how he ends it. Turn, turn with me to, to the last chapter of this letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Look at verse 23. Uh, this is how he ends it. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 23, notice how he ends this letter. He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. He starts with grace, he ends with grace, because it's all about God's grace in our lives from beginning to end. It's all grace. It's not our merit. Someone may say, you know, how do I come to experience this grace Scripture says it's freely given to us. In fact, it tells us in verse 2 that they came to experience this grace with all that in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus, or of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Romans 10.13 says, For whosoever shall call... Upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So it's when we call out to Him to save us from our sin that we experience His grace. And if you have never experienced His grace, it's because you've not called upon His name. But if you will call on His name, His grace will be yours. You and I who have experienced His grace, we need to let His grace amaze us. We need to be amazed again by grace, standing in all of his grace. And when we stand in all of his grace, our pride is, is laid on the altar and it's slain. James Gray was a pastor in Chicago about a century ago. And he wrote a hymn called Only a Sinner. He expresses to you and I so beautifully what we need to understand about God's grace. He said not or it's an old English word for nothing. Nothing have I gotten but, but what I received. Grace hath bestowed it since I have believed. Boasting excluded. Pride I abase. I'm only a sinner saved by grace. Here's the chorus. Only a sinner saved by grace. Only a sinner saved by grace. This is my story. To God be the glory. I'm only a sinner saved by grace. So we have grounds for gratitude because of the grace that's ours. Number two, we have grounds for gratitude because of the gifts that are ours. The gifts that are lavished on us. Verse 5, look what he says. He says, you are enriched. That in everything ye are enriched. And the word enriched means to make rich. By him in all utterance. The word utterance is the, the Greek word logos. It means speech. It was their words. And in all knowledge. He says in verse 5, the idea of knowledge is the apprehension of truth. And some interpreters take this to mean uh, that that God had gifted them in speech to be able and equip them to be able to proclaim the gospel. And then God had, had gifted them in knowledge so that they could apprehend the truth of God. So he's equipped them in their, in their minds to understand and knowledge the truth about God and Christ. And he's equipped them in their words to be able to proclaim the gospel. Now Paul covers these gifts of utterance and knowledge at length in 1 Corinthians chapter 12-14. through and, and so we won't cover that today. We'll look at it then. But for now, Paul expresses gratitude because of the way that God had, had lavishly gifted the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7, uh, Paul declared that uh, these Corinthians had come behind in no spiritual gift. In other words, they, they didn't lack any gifting from God, that they had been fully equipped and lavishly gifted by God to, to speak His Word and to understand His truth. He said, you've been enriched. And he gave great gratitude to God for that. You know, we just had Valentine's Day and... Uh, on Wednesday, and 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 I read about some of the most crazy expensive gifts given by couples. One that seemed to take the cake was that in 2010, uh, Jay Z spent a measly 20 million and bought Beyonce, his, his girl at the time, an entire island for her off the coast of Florida. I mean, think about that—20 million dollars. He bought her an island. He just lavishly gave her this this island. You know, it seems like in my study of 1 Corinthians, it's been pointed out to me as I've studied that that it appeared to be quite a wealth gap in in Corinth. That many of the people Paul was speaking to were probably uh, of the financially and materially poor uh, of their city. They, they weren't financially rich. They weren't materially rich. But he wanted them to see that God had enriched them through Christ with spiritual gifts. He wanted them to see the riches that they had. Uh, that they were not only rich in God's grace that saved them, but they were they were gifted by God. They spiritually were gifted to, to serve Him. You know, one of our greatest struggles as, as people living in 2018 is that we are far more prone to measure our riches financially and materially and not measure our riches spiritually. You know, I don't think we have to choose. But if we did have to choose, would we rather have financial or material wealth or be wealthy with spiritual gifts to speak for God and to know His truth? You see, there are people who are financially wealthy who are godly. There are people who are financially poor and materially have nothing and they are godly. There are people who are poor have nothing, who are wicked. There are people who are incredibly rich and have all the possessions that you could dream of and are wicked. See, money is what we call amoral. In itself, it doesn't have morals. And so it doesn't mean if you're rich that you're Uh, a horrible person doesn't mean if you're poor, you're automatically a saint. You can be rich and be godly. You can be poor and you can be godly. You can be rich and be ungodly. You can be poor and be ungodly. So I don't believe we have to choose. But but if we did have to choose, would we rather be a church that was financially, materially rich? I mean, a church that with large offerings, a church with uh, pristine facilities, or would we choose to be a church rich in spiritual giftedness. I mean, a church that saw God working through them in supernatural ways. You know, later in our study in 1 Corinthians, we're going to dig deep into what Paul referred to as spiritual gifts given to us. But for now, we simply need to know and be grateful that God has lavishly gifted us with everything we need to serve Him. That You and I as His children, you and I that make up Living Hope Church, we don't come behind in any gift that we need. God has lavishly gifted us and we can give Him thanks for that. So we have grounds for gratitude because of the grace that's ours, because of the gifts that are ours, thirdly and finally. We have grounds for gratitude because of the guarantee promised to us, the guarantee that is ours. You know, Paul uses the word confirm twice in our text. Look at verse 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 6. He says, the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. And then in verse 8, he says that Jesus, who shall, be, who shall confirm you unto the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Confirm you unto the end. This word means to make firm or reliable, so as to warrant security and to inspire confidence. See, what happened was that Paul had preached the gospel to them in Corinth, and they had believed. In fact, turn with me to Acts chapter 18. I want you to see uh, the birth of this church and what God did to establish them and to confirm them. Acts chapter 18, verse 1, it says, After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came Uh, to Corinth. Skip down, look at verse 4. It says, "...he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the Spirit, and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ." Now skip down to verse 8. "...and Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized." Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision, Be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace. For I am with thee, and no man shall set thee to hurt thee. For I have much people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God. Among them, You see what's happened? Paul is preaching. He's preaching Jesus, His cross, His resurrection. And people are coming and believing. You see, the testimony of Christ that was preached by Paul was confirmed unto them. It was guaranteed in them. There was a work of God in them as Paul was preaching. The Spirit testifying of these things. And in them, this work of God that was guaranteeing. These truths. And then in verse 6 it says that those spiritual gifts that had been lavished on them. Those were used by God to confirm. To guarantee them. And then in verse 8 he says that as I preached and and as God was at work. And he was confirming the testimony of Christ in you by by, by the, the power of the gospel. He said that same God has made a guarantee He is going to guarantee, he's going to to confirm you to the end, that they had the guarantee of of standing before God blameless in the day of judgment through faith in Jesus. That they could wait for the coming of the Lord, verse 7, they could wait for the coming of the Lord in firm confidence because they're going to stand blameless. And the word blameless is a beautiful word. It gives the idea that, that no accusation could stick to their charge because... God, who had called them, was faithful. So Paul was grateful for this guaranteed promise to them in Christ that one day they were going to stand before God when Christ comes again, blameless. You know, when someone wants to purchase a home, they have to put uh, what's called an earnest deposit down, which is essentially, it's a security deposit. Uh, It's the buyer uh, making a promise, giving an assurance Uh, making a guarantee that they're serious about buying the property. And and Paul used the word confirm, and in the Greek language, that word was used in Corinthian culture for guarantees in legal contracts. It it was a guarantee that settled a transaction, that this person uh, was, was serious in making a guarantee that they were going to buy what it is that they were setting out to buy. And so what Paul is saying to the Corinthians is that you can trust God. He, he's faithful. He has confirmed. He's made a guarantee that through faith in Christ, He will present you blameless. It reminds me really of Philippians 1.6, which says being confident of this very thing, that He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Can you picture standing before God on judgment day and not one sin can be successfully laid to your charge? A spotless record, completely guiltless because the perfect righteousness of Jesus has been given to you. We have God's guarantee that not by our works, but through Jesus Christ, through our faith in him, we stand before him blameless no wonder paul said grace and peace be unto you because with this guarantee from god that we're going to stand before him blameless we can lay our heads down at night in perfect peace knowing that because of jesus i'll stand blameless god is faithful Therefore, we can eagerly anticipate the coming of Jesus because we're going to stand before Him blameless, all because of the work that Jesus has done. So here they were, the church in Corinth. But unfortunately, so much of Corinth was in the church. They were that patient in the hospital, desperately in need of surgery. God was the surgeon. The apostle Paul was his instrument But before the Lord addressed their deep problems, he reminded them of their identity and their hope. And Paul, remembering this, gives gratitude to God. He's grateful to God. He gives thanks to God that in spite of their deep flaws, in spite of our deep flaws, that the grace that's ours, the gifts that are ours, the guarantee that is ours in Jesus, we can be grateful. I wonder, are you discouraged today about your failures as a Christian? About your flaws? Are there some areas in your life that desperately need to change? You know, kind of metaphorically speaking, is your head hanging low because of the way your life is right now? You know what, I believe the very first step is right here in First Corinthians 1, 1 through 9. I mean, it begins by looking up to God, looking up to Jesus Christ and letting The grace and the gifts and the guarantee fill us with gratitude. And know what that does is that puts our hearts in a place that's ready to receive uh, the change that God wants to make in our lives. To make us like Jesus. To remove the sin and to make us more like His Son. If you committed your life to Jesus Christ or made a spiritual decision, we would like to rejoice with you. Please connect with us on our website, livinghopechicago.com. We hope you'll join us next time for another encouraging message from God's Word.